Kia ora whanau and welcome to Code with Kingy's second round recap of the 2020 Super Rugby season. Um, just a quick reminder though that for those of you who haven't already, could you please be following this podcast as well as both my Facebook and Instagram pages, um, all of which can be found at Code with Kingy. I am dropping little bits of content uh, throughout the week uh, across social media, so in order for you guys to sort of keep up with that, you're going to need to be you know liking and following my pages, so please go and do that. And also another reminder that I am putting all of that stuff out there for you guys to interact with, so kaore he whakamawhanau, uh, please don't be afraid to you know drop in your opinion here and there, um, and if you don't really want to do it in the comment section, please just hit me in the DM or you know private message me, because... I'm really looking to use this space to get, you know, different perspectives on the game and different perspectives on players, so, yeah, I really want this to sort of be, like, a refreshing thing for you guys, but also for me, so, please, be interactive. But, um, yeah, let's get into the footy, though, because I know that's what you're all here for, and Friday night, uh, we obviously had the Hollanders taking on the Sharks. The Landers were missing in action last week because they had the bye, but this week they had no excuse. They were trounced 42-20, but in fairness to the home side, it was more a case of shooting themselves in the foot rather than being played off the park. We had to wait till the half-hour mark to see the game's first try, before that the Sharks had kicked two penalties to the Highlanders' one. A box kick from Sharks halfback Louis Schroeder was spilled by Mitch Hunt and ended with the visitors' blindside flanker James Venter racing away for five. Now, kicking with the intention of retention was something the Sharks did really well, and I will come back to this. The second dot would again go to the Sharks after working their way back into the opposing half and with a penalty advantage they just chanced their arm out wide. Now you're going to have to excuse my pronunciation but number 8 Sukahumbuzo Natoje provided a half break in the build up and offloaded it to fullback Afelele Fasi, again excuse my pronunciation, who punched onto it and set up winger Makazola Mapimpi in the left hand corner. Now there was one more try to come before the close of the half and to the dismay of all of those in Highlanders kit at Forsyth Bar, it would again go to the Sharks. A loose carry from winger Timo Whanganuku was skipped up by Natoje who then managed to offload to a support once again and at the end of it we saw Mapimpi crossing for a second try of the day. So in the space of 8 minutes, the Highlanders had gone from trailing 6-3 to 27-3 and had really stitched themselves up for a rather large second 40. They did, however, strike first at the turn of the half uh, through a nicely worked line-out move, which was sort of weird because they'd actually struggled with the line-out all day. Nadiki caught it off the back of the line-out, uh, actually sent the try-scoring Venter to the floor with some handy footwork before, off the next phase, Smith would swing it out to Dylan Hunt, who then spun out of a tackle and scored under the posts. Uh, Nadiki would get his own try courtesy of a Hunt cross-kick later in the piece, but unfortunately for the debutant, his final act of the game would see the Sharks cross for their bonus point try. That came courtesy of a Kerwin-Bosch chip kick. Nidiki would actually gather it himself before losing it in contact and off went Fussy with the, with the spill along with the win. Now, replacement utility back Michael Collins would actually score from the ensuing kickoff thanks to some clever play from fellow reserve Chiaraki Ben Nichols. But it was actually Fussy who would again get the last laugh of the game after collecting a loose ball off a Rob Thompson intercept attempt. He would then bolt it for the corner and, just for good measure, palm off Kane Hammington on his way to the corner flag. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the Sharks did a really good job of contesting for the ball off their own kicks and put a lot of pressure on a vastly inexperienced back three, which was made up of, again, uh, John Ariki, Josh Mackay and Tima Whanganuku. Now, while they didn't actually offer a lot with ball in hand, that didn't matter because it wasn't their game plan. They attacked the breakdown, and any ball they won was put into the air to work their way back down the field. 
It was also crucial that any mistakes that were made were made to pay for by the Sharks, and they did that uh, because four of their five tries came from Highlanders handling errors. Now besides the case of the dropsies the Southern men appear to have on Friday night, the other obvious problem was their lack of punch. They opted to go for two poachers on the flanks uh, with Dylan Hunt and skipper James Lynchies, and this somewhat worked against them in the contact area. Now the Highlanders never really showed any interest in playing through the middle, and I actually enjoyed watching them play the game with some real width. But the problem with that though was the Sharks knew this and scrambled really well when they were caught a man short out wide. The insertion of Jesse Parate, uh, Ash Dixon and Shannon Frizzell brought some real mungle to the forward pack and had actually added some go forward for a forward pack that was actually going backwards most of the night. And all three of them played really big parts in the team's late surge. However, it was really a case of too little too late because there was just so much inaccuracy from the Highlanders at the breakdown in the first half, which saw them lose the majority of their own pill. Their kicking, both from 9 and 10, so that's Aaron Smith and Mitch Hunt, was pretty lacklustre. And of course, as I mentioned, their line-out let the Sharks off the hook on too many occasions. Number 8, Marino Makailitu was their best player on the night, with 102 running metres off of 9 carries. He also beat 7 defenders and had 3 clean line breaks. With the ball in hand, Nariki showed a, uh, a decent outing with 61 run metres and 8 defenders beaten. And as I mentioned before, Parete and Frizzell got themselves into the thicker things early in their cameos. Next up we had the Chiefs at home to the Crusaders, where the host somehow managed to repel wave after wave after wave after wave after wave after wave after wave of Crusaders attack, and somehow finished the game 25-20 to the good. Similar to last week, the Chiefs were slow out of the blocks, and within the first two minutes, they almost gifted the Crusaders the first points, only for Scott Barrett to drop it with the line begging. This error wouldn't prove too costly though, as a penalty one from the ensuing scrum led to a David Harvey kick pass for winger Severis, who then goose-stepped his way past Damian McKenzie for the first try. Aaron Cruden scored his side's first points of the game through the boot after the Crusaders were penalised for creeping offside, but it would be Reese again with the last set of hands for the game's second meat pie. After six plus phases inside the red zone, Drummond then pushed the ball out to Havili, who was actually donning the 10 jersey on Saturday. He would then throw the scuggy long ball into the breadbasket of the Fijian pocket rocket and put his side up by two tries. The host would answer with their first try from a set-piece strike move, where an OT ball off the top from a line-out was then followed by a double block play, and it was Solomon Alaymalo put away to enjoy the treats once again. Another lapse in concentration from the kickoff would hand the Crusaders a scrum from close range, but unlike the first 20 minutes, the Chiefs actually showed some pride on their goal line. For the last 15 minutes of the half, the visitors went searching for maximum points and in turn turned down four shots at goal. They came close to securing that five-pointer when Will Jordan made his way over the line after a David Harvelli inside ball, but that was as close as they would get as the home team hung on to only trail at the break 12-8. Keeping the momentum in their favour, the Chiefs struck early in the second through a Tahui Orangi snipe. Cruden would add the extras and put his team up three. Round one standout Brandon Emanuel made a burst up the flank to put his side in a great position to score, only for Cody Taylor to muff the ball forward and blow a 3v2 overlap. Fortunately for the All Black though, his team had a long arm advantage and would still leave that end of the field with points through a David Harvey penalty. The score was now 15 all. Sean Wainui scored the game's next points after receiving an offload from lively replacement Brad Weber. 
but the try for me had really come from the pressure applied minutes earlier. After camping themselves inside the Crusaders' half, they held onto the ball for 23 consecutive phases. Now the Red and Blacks would turn the ball over, put it downfield and do what they always do, but the point being is that the Chiefs won this game by chipping away rather than attempting the Hail Mary. Among the many key chippers for the mana was blindside flanker Lachlan Boucher, who in the last quarter alone won his side three penalties, the last of which sealed the game when Cruden slotted three points to give them a 10-point lead. He, along with his 14 teammates, did a really good job in slowing the game down just enough to give their side that split second needed to recover while the Crusaders were on attack, and they would hold on for a gallant 25-15 victory. Now, I'm not privy to what Warren Gatlin relayed to his troops while they munched on oranges at both this week's and last week's interval, but whatever he did say must have resonated because it's resulted in two second-half wins. Just like they'd shown at Eden Park last week, the Chiefs were courageous when it mattered most and turned into somewhat of a brick wall too tall to climb or go through for their opponents. Another well-worked try from set-piece will have only added to Gatlin and his coaching staff's confidence that the work being done in training is translating to showtime, and the win itself over the reigning champs will have only given the players a psychological boost. For the Crusaders though, the game would have felt like one that got away. After pinning the Chiefs inside their own half for most of the first 40 and patches of the second, they just couldn't apply the knockout blow after two quick tries. Their eagerness to put the game away early and turn down points on offer cost them in the end. I mean, what would the game have looked like had the deficit only been two instead of seven in that last quarter? I know this is sort of an example of shoulda, coulda, woulda, but for me you always take a sip when it's presented because a gulp is never promised. Man of the match honours for me go to Lachlan Boucher for his 6 tackles and 5 turnovers won, but if you told me Sam Kane was your choice, I wouldn't argue with you as he turned in a team high 15 tackles along with 2 pinches. The smiling assassin aka DMAC aka Damian McKenzie also looked good in his return to the rugby field after a ACL injury in 2019. He racked up 53 running metres on the ground and wrong-footed three defenders. On the flip side though, young open side Tom Christie was everywhere and led the game with 20. Yes, 20 tackles. While Barrett provided his second captain's knock on the trot with 25 run metres and 14 tackles. On to game three of this week's recap between the Waratahs and the Blues. And it was the Kiwi side who actually ended up banking the five points on their trip away to Newcastle. Now conditions were poor in this game, so for the next 80 minutes I was actually treated to a game of butterfingers, only for a few tries to be sprinkled in here and there to, you know, keep me up past my bedtime. After offering no glimpses of attacking with intent in the previous fixture, the Waratahs thought they'd back their performance up with something that was actually harder on the eyes than Sam Knox's haircut. Openside Blake Gibson bagged his first try in 2020 after a strong carry from Hoskins to Tutu, Set up some quick hands down the blind, putting the away side up by a handful after the first 10 minutes. Now both sides struggled to secure the ball, but in a way it was worse for the Blues, as their drops actually cost them the chance to push out their buffer. Whether it be from open play or from set piece, the visitors found a way to ease the pressure mounted on the Tars after working so hard to put themselves in a position to score. Now first five, Stephen Pedalfetta should have left this game with two try assists after firing a beautiful long ball out to winger Jordan Highland, but the winger failed to cash the check. They were awarded an offside penalty from the coming faces, but I highlight this play as it's just another example of how the Blues always appear to be a step too slow in game-altering moments. 
Waratah centre Lalakai Fokiti scored with a minute to spare in the opening stanza, where a string of pick-and-goes drew the defence in just enough for him to finish off a back's overcall out wide. Pivot Will Harrison would make up for an early miss by nailing a tough conversion, and now for all the hard work the Blues had done in the first half, all they had to show for it was a sole point buffer. Annoyed with themselves for letting points go missing, the Blues came out of the blocks hot in the second half, scoring 12 points in the space of 3 minutes. Winger Mark Talia, who looked lively in the second spell, scored the second of the two tries in that short period, and I can't help but pay a mention to the previously mentioned Satutu, who pulled the grubber through for his new blue to fall on. It's not often that you see a forward with this sort of confidence to channel their inner JT, so I applaud the big fella for going into his bag. His moment in the limelight though would be short-lived, as he was binned for a high shot, which to me didn't have a lot in it, but you know, I wasn't refing the game, so... Off he went, and in that time the Waratahs managed to sneak in their second try of the game to winger Mark Nawangatawasi, who, according to Phil Kearns, prefers to go by Marky Mark. The Patrick Mahomes lookalike actually hurt himself in the act of scoring, his acrobatic leap ended in him doing somewhat of a scorpion, and with his departure so did the Waratahs' chance of doing anything exciting for the rest of the game. Talia would bag two more tries before the hooter, capping off a night to remember for the 23-year-old, but outside of this, I don't really have anything else to add, besides the fact the Blues still seem a little bit directionless. They are a team who have shown a lot of effort over the past two weeks, but just haven't quite made the most of their opportunities, or taken the right option in important passages. Bowden Barrett doesn't arrive till April, but it would be silly and unsustainable to put everything on his plate, which would include the goal kicking, and ask him to right all of their wrongs. Leadership for me would be priority number one for Leon McDonald, and I'm sure he's aware of that. It will take time with their youth, but they're going to need some of their older heads to stand up if they are to feature at the business end of the season. Besides Talia though, the loose forwards were prominent once again, with a combined 32 tackles. Captain Patrick Tuipolotu dished out 12 hits of his own whilst also carrying strongly, and big Carl Tawinakuafe was rock solid at scrum time. Heading into my lazy time this afternoon was the last game of Super Rugby for the weekend, as the Hurricanes looked to leave Argentina at 500 in the win column. Now to my surprise, and probably anyone who watched their game last weekend, they did get the win courtesy of a last minute try. Fullback Jordy Barrett got his team's first points of the season with a thumping 63 metre penalty. Now for those of you asking yourself if Buenos Aires sits at sea level, I can confirm that it is approximately 25 metres above sea level, which pretty much means that altitude played no part in Barrett's kick. Anyway, the hosts would reply with two penalties of their own before open side Marcos Kremer slipped through to score. Starting inside the Canes 22 on the right hand side of the field, the Hagawaris would work their way around the corner to the left hand touchline, and on the first play back open, First five, Domingo Maiotti would put his flanker through a hole with no one between him and the posts. Playing wider than they had done in Cape Town, the Canes were actually finding weak shoulders on a lot of their pod carries and securing their own ruck to the home side's frustration. Two penalties whilst in possession allowed Barrett to add another six points to the scoreboard, keeping his side in touch entering the Sheds ten points to nine. The goal kicker would add another three points in his final 20 minutes on the park, but his most important contribution and arguably the biggest moment of the game came in his try-saving tackle on Argentinian flyer Emiliano Buffelli. A swift set of passes looked to have put the winger in for a timely score, only for Barrett to scamper across the field and lay on just enough of a shove to push his foot into touch. 
The Hagawaris would earn their second dot through their trademark rolling maul only minutes later though, with crowd favourite Augustine Creevy emerging as the ball carrier from the heap of bodies on the Hurricanes line. Needing a quick response, the Taurus rumble their way back inside the Jags half and reap the rewards from a steady build-up through a pick-and-go try to reserve prop Alex Fido. TJ Perinara would depart the field after the score due to the NZRU's minutes restriction, meaning that they would have to go the length of the field without their game driver. This didn't appear to matter though, as just as they'd done on the previous position, the Canes worked their way into enemy territory, and after showing a great level of patience and composure, found a chink in the Hagawares D, for when Laomapi would have a bit of ball playing into Fafita, Fafita would offload back to Laomapi, who then fed Perinara's replacement Jamie Booth and stole the game 26-23. Now with the launch of this podcast, I'm having to look at everything through an objective lens, but just so all of you know, I am a Hurricane supporter, and even I didn't think they'd get the job done after last week's performance. While this was an ugly win to say the least, head coach Jason Holland kept his word when he said his squad would rectify their shortcomings in round one, the most glaring of which was their physicality in the tackle. Starting both Asafu Amor and Isaiah Wokaleawede gave his side a little bit of exercise, but a lot of extra aggression. The forwards were also far more attentive at the breakdown with their own ball, giving Pira just enough of a platform to feed his backline with. As for the skipper, he was far more involved in steering the ship this week, with the majority of the kicking and structure coming from the base of the ruck, rather than pressuring it on to the first receiver. All Blacks Barrett, Laomapi and Vaifafita showed why they are big-time players with a number of big-time plays down the stretch, while off the pine came Booth, and once again he proved that when thrust into the action, he can be a real difference maker. Kicking on to my team of the week, having just wrapped up my second round recap, uh, in my front row I have Carl Tuanukawafe, Asafo Amor, and Joe Moody. In my locks are uh, Scott Barrett and Isaiah Wokaleawede, and then at 6, 7 and 8, I have Lachlan Boshier, Tom Christie and Sam Kane. Hurricane skipper TJ Perinara gets a nod at the 9 jersey and Aaron Cruden is back running the cutter after two really good performances in the opening weeks of Super Rugby. Nani Lamapi gets the 12 jersey over Leonard Brown this week but back into the fold is Braden Enor and rounding out my back three are the hat-trick scoring Mark Talia, the double scoring Sebu Reese and Geordie Barrett at fullback. Now, some of you may have gone for Damian McKenzie at fullback for your team of the week. Um, I can't really argue with that, but I just felt that Geordie probably had a bigger impact in his game, um, obviously off the boot, and then with his try-saving tackle. Taking home player of the week, though, for me in the second week uh, is none other than Lachlan Boucher, the Chiefs' blindside flanker. His captain, Sam Kane, was asked in the post-match interview what helped get his side over the line and the All Black rightfully credited his teammate for the work he did to stifle the Crusaders go forward. While the 25 year old had less than half of his skipper's tackles, when you watch the game it just felt like he was everywhere and when his team needed to make a play he was the one who stuck his hand up and went to work. Like I mentioned he had five turnovers won, three of which came in the last quarter of an hour and he also contributed a dozen running metres off a handful of carries. Rounding out our show with the last segment, which of course will always be our shower thought, and this week what has me thinking is kicking, or to be more concise, poor kicking. If you'd watched the likes of the Blues last Friday, the Hurricanes last Sunday, or the Highlanders this Friday, you'd have thought you were watching a Mighty Team Cup game with the trouble a lot of these teams were having from the boot. 
And having taken all of this in, you know, I I just sort of started wondering, well, what would happen if teams had the ability to mark the ball from anywhere on the field? Similar to last week's sentiments, I think that this sort of change would pressure teams into keeping the ball in hand, which you'd hope would be more tries. And it would also, you know, help do away with all of the aimless kicking we've been seeing. I want teams to be far more accurate with their nudges, and, you know, obviously when they make an error like in all other areas of rugby, they have to pay the price. That's just me though, um, I'd love to get your guys' thoughts, and, you know, like I said, kaore e whakama, please remember to drop a comment, or, you know, like I said, hit me with a private message, because I would love to know what you guys think. That's about it though from me this week Farno. but thank you again for tuning in to the second instalment of Code with Kingy, and like I told you guys last time, I'll see you all next Monday. Mā te wā.